when it comes to both health and happiness, um, it turns out it's not your hemoglobin A1C that is the biggest contributor. It's not your cholesterol. It's not the degree you got from Harvard. It's not the amount of money in your bank account. By a huge margin, the number one thing that contributes to health and happiness and longevity is the quality of your relationships Wow! in the world. I think that the work, particularly that we do in emergency services, can be intensely joyful. I want to thank iSimulate for partnering with me and helping me offset the cost of running this podcast. It allows me to continue doing what I love and hopefully bringing value to your day. Thank you, iSimulate. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. I had the honor of sitting down with one of our EMS greats, Mike Tagman. He was in town for ESO's WAVE conference, and ESO was generous enough to allow me to record his talk and provide us a space to discuss the topic of his session, which was mindfulness. I hope this episode brings you a tiny slice of peace in a time of tremendous unrest. In the interview, you'll hear Mike talk about many things, one of which is our interconnectedness. Now more than ever, I'm reminded that we are all in this together. With that in mind, I hope you will reach out to a fellow medic and share this episode with them and encourage them to make just a few minutes for themselves. Here's my talk with Mike. I wanted to talk to you about mindfulness. It's a good topic. Recently, I have been spending time with a friend. Her name's Cassie Leiden. She's a paramedic for Austin, Travis County, EMS. Uh-huh. Good group of folks over there, by the way. Yeah. Some of my favorite people work for us in Travis. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Me too. She being one. And recently we were hanging out. I noticed that I'm kind of fidgety and I noticed how still she was. And so I commented on it because I'm kind of, a, I'm kind, I can be a little wound tight. Yeah. Yeah. I can perform and dial it in, but my, I think my general kind of baseline is kind of antsy. Mm-hmm. And she was profoundly still. I felt like when we were interacting, she was fully present. I could almost look at her face and see, like, your mind's not wandering right now. Like, you're really here with me. And so I commented on it, and she said, this, this was her comment. She said, well, you know I practice mindfulness, right? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, actually, I did know that about her. I wondered, can you define that for me? And I understand that you can't define, like, what she was saying, but what does mindfulness mean for you? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those words, like whether it's mindfulness or meditation or presence or prayer for some people, or it's kind of trying to label an experience that's, that can be sometimes a little bit hard to label. You know, you think about, you, you, we sat down here, you asked me, what did I have for breakfast? And that's kind of, you know, oh, that's a memory. And thinking about the past and and after this interview we're going to go to lunch and we're going to eat weird austin vegetarian food and that's kind of thinking about the future part of the practice is the practice about being actually here being right where you are in the moment in the martial arts they'll like refer to it as centering you know it's not necessarily like a place where you live all the time because if you don't remember things in the past you don't know what to do now in many situations and if you don't think about the future, it's hard to plan or accomplish anything, right? So it's not, it's not bad to go to, to, to either of those places. But having a, a center and a place to come back to, mm. um, it's, you know, most people know how to walk, right? You walk. Well, if you look at it physically, walking is the repeated act of falling mm. and catching yourself. 
mm-hmm. and kind of moving through. And so from a physical sense, when you're walking, you are constantly moving through center. You're moving through a place of balance where kind of everything's together mm-hmm. and then onto the, mm-hmm. onto the next thing. And one of the things that meditation and mindfulness practices have helped for me um, is that um, it's given me an easier ability to come back to a center, come back to presence and, and be able to be there. Does that make sense? It does. It sounds like it's a psychological home psychological spiritual physical i mean they're not the, the the distinction between those is really not i don't find that helpful it's in the they they would refer to it as the soma which is kind of the integration of all of that together, right right i think that for sure is a deficit of mine is that i have a separation in the brain like i talk about the brain a lot right right and i forget that it's inhabited within the well body. there's like the brain which is your like physical organ yeah and then there's like your mind which you know involves the interaction I'm having with you right now. Mm-hmm. You know that's that that's part of it. You know it's not it's not contained in my the bones of my skull. Yeah. Right. Well, I think I mean, about it that way a it's lot. Relational. <laughs> right. Mm. And in your talk yesterday, which I've recorded, I'm, my plan I think I'm going to use your guided meditation and tell people not to listen to it while they're driving. Is that? <laughs> that, would, that, that would probably be good. And 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 it's not mine. It's Dan Siegel's. I just checked. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure you give credit to the, sure. to the person it come from. So the yeah. words you were using were borrowed? The framework of the meditation is I from see. Dan Siegel. Okay. Um, so. Would you say that's something a medic could do while they're on shift between calls? Was oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are you know tons of, of resources to just do a very brief centering practice. You can do it in one breath. Hmm. And just like, you know, take a, take a full deep breath and just be right here just for a second, just for a second. And it, it'll change your physiology, it'll change how you feel, it'll change the kind of the level of activation of your sympathetic nervous system. And having access to those practices and having those kind of grounding and relaxing and centering practices become like habitual. So they just happen. You know, it's like when somebody points a finger towards your eye, you blink automatically. You mm-hmm. don't think, oh, I have to blink. Actually, there's a, a better way to describe this. There's a couple of different ways to think about memory. So there's explicit memory and implicit memory. Do you remember learning how to drive? Yeah. Who taught you to drive? My dad. Your dad taught you to drive. Okay. Um, and for me, my, my parents wouldn't teach me to drive because they were too scared to be in a car with me. So they asked the neighbor <laughs> later to, to teach me to drive. But when you think about driving, that's a memory you pull up from the past, learning how to drive. But did you drive here today? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's memory that allowed you to drive your car. It's memory that allowed you to work the gas and the, mm-hmm. and the, and the brake pedal and to use the steering wheel without hitting anything and, and, and be able to navigate your car. But you probably didn't experience it as thinking, Oh, I have to remember how to do that stuff. You just know how to do that. Totally. Didn't even think about it. So explicit memory is that memory you pull up from the past and it really lives in the hippocampus in your brain. Implicit memory is just that memory where you just know how to do something. Um, that lives more on the prefrontal lobes of your neocortex. What regular mindfulness practice does is it can help you have those kind of peaceful, relaxing, centering things become uh, implicit memory where you just, you do them more than, and you don't have to think about them or remember to do it. Mm. It just becomes part of who you are. And 
uh, when you described noticing in your friend how present she was, how unfidgety she was. It sounds like she's somebody who's really embodied that practice. I think so. And when she said, you know, I practice mindfulness, I thought, I think I thought of it as like, you know, you go work out. I thought she was saying, I just do that maybe once a day. But but what you're kind of teaching me is that it's maybe something she's calling up throughout the day or reflexive. You know, I think that may be true. And and I think that um, the gym metaphor is a good one because you go to the gym to work out. But right now you're using your arm to hold a microphone. You know, you're using the neck muscles to shake your head and in, in, in response to what I'm saying right now. Um, y'all can't see that because you're listening, um, but it's happening. I'll, t- I'll tell you. And um, so you're still using those physical parts of, of your body that you trained in the gym throughout the course of your day. Mindfulness practice is like taking your brain to the gym, like taking your emotions to the gym. And it strengthens those things. But those things that you train in that practice can cascade and get used throughout the rest of your life the rest of your day. It's pretty wonderful. Well, I appreciate you kind of bringing it to EMS. And I felt like yesterday during your talk, you felt like you needed to kind of qualify it. And maybe that's how you get that initial buy-in is like just warning people, like I get it that you don't, that the audience doesn't think of it the way you think of it. But mm-hmm. I imagine for you, it's just like so normalized. And totally. I was kind of impressed that you can remember that it's even weird. <laughs> you know it's 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 interesting when you you know you go out in the world and you interact with folks things that you think of are normal and are can be surprising to people sometimes yeah. and uh i took a, a group of people to to eat at a, a fabulous vegan vegetarian restaurant here last night 16 people mm. uh, came with us and only one of which was vegan besides me mm-hmm. um so all the rest of them were quote-unquote normal Um, and some of them had never eaten at a vegan restaurant before. Mm -hmm. Right. But they loved, loved the food. I looked on your, on the first watch website Uh and you had a bio on there. Scary. It says Mike is working with some of the world leading physicians and researchers to bring neuroscience based resilience, education and practice to EMS to create medics who are resilient, joyful, thriving, and providing compassionate care during long careers. And two of those words jumped out at me. One is joyful, because I've been working hard to understand what joy is. It's a great concept. What is joy to you? You know, um, there's like, you know, generally happy, but joy is kind of effervescent in my mind. I really kind of got introduced to that word through the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. So they've had a large initiative on assessing and improving joy in work. I think it was kind of created as the antithesis to employee satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, employee satisfaction feels kind of dead. Right. Um, but joy feels kind of playful mm-hmm. and full of possibility. If you had a choice between just being satisfied <laughs> and being joyful, yeah. more people would choose joyful. Mm-hmm. Although when we were doing the EMS Agenda 2050 mm-hmm. project and I was traveling around the country and I you know, would ask big audiences in these interactive group dialogues um, about creating more joy in work. It was interesting. I pissed a lot of people off by asking them about creating joy because you know, a lot of people say that they call it work for a reason. Um, and I'm just, I'm not there. I think that the work, particularly that we do in emergency services, can be intensely joyful. Even though we're dealing with the world's suffering, the ability to be able to be helpful yeah. and extend compassion and, and ease suffering and save lives and 
comfort people when they're scared and those kinds of things is a, it's a hugely rewarding way to make a living. I agree. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of joy in that for me. I get tremendous joy out of watching people in challenging moments kind of rise to the occasion. EMS feels like, like we really get to see the full spectrum of the human experience. It's weird to put joy and suffering together, but I love watching people survive, I guess. Well, and people will give you access to parts of their lives that they won't give their family members access to, right? That's right. In the moment of crisis. I mean, it is a, people will put themselves in a level of vulnerability and openness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With you as a medic taking care of them that they, that they just don't in the rest of their world. Um, and that's, that's always been a, a really big deal to me. The other word that you used was long, and that's part of my own personal mission with the podcast is trying to unlock kind of the methods of how medics can have career longevity. Like what, yes. what's the secret sauce? Yes. I, and it does tie into the joy part for me. Traditionally, our education systems have done people a disservice. You know, the recruiting brochures, you know, are all about saving burning babies and stamping out disease and pestilence and being on the cover of the newspaper and, you know, getting thanked by the survivors. And I mean, that's, that's really the sales brochure. And, and that is part of our world, but it's a small part of our world. A large part of our world, much larger part is uh, dealing with people who drink too much alcohol and, and pee on themselves and crap themselves and, and have an interaction style that's unpleasant. Yeah. You know, dealing with people who've got chronic disease who would be healthier and happier if they just took good care of themselves and did their, their self-care and took their medications appropriately and all that kind of stuff. You look at the paramedic forums on Facebook and whatnot, and there's, you know, all kinds of young people in our profession expressing just intense dissatisfaction. Instead for me, um, when I, you know, rather than, than, you know, focusing on, on judging and only, only getting joy from saving lives and, and really making a quote unquote difference. I'm an intensely curious person. Everybody you're, you're taking care of, no matter how, you know, obnoxious or whatever it is, there's some, there's something interesting about them. One of the games I play for myself is I'm trying to figure it out. You know, so it's like you are a mean, nasty, drunk person who can't articulate a complaint, but yet you've called 911. How, how did you get here? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a way we can work together, even if you're mean and nasty? Or mm-hmm. is there something I might be able to say that might make you a little less mean? That's the piece that I thoroughly enjoy is trying, trying to unlock them and see if, just see if I can get in. Halfway through our interview, we realized our stomachs were talking so loud that the microphones were picking it up. So we took a break and went to lunch. Well, that was a nice lunch. That was a great lunch. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. Took me to Bolden Creek Cafe in Austin, Texas. For weird vegan food. She was totally down for it. It was good. I was totally down for it. It was it was a really good meal, um, and you took me somewhere I haven't really been in Austin. I like I like taking people to places they've never been in their own hometown. Soon I'm going to be doing a talk on collaboration, and I picked the topic because historically I've done a lot of my work alone. I've been kind of um, solo. What I found in podcasting is 
the more I've worked with other podcasters and collaborating on some joint projects, I've learned a ton and it's kind of amplified things. It's been a turning point for me with the podcast was when I found other podcasters and we started doing collaboration. So I'm picking that off as a topic because I want to understand it better. The reason I wanted to ask you about collaboration is because it was listed as what you thought was one of the keys to resilience is collaborating with others. Absolutely. And so, I mean, first off, I, I don't believe that you can do anything in this world without some level of collaboration. We're talking on microphones that neither of us made in a room here that neither of us built after eating food that neither of us grew, that neither of us cooked, that neither of us served, right? I believe that there are various levels of collaboration and that pretty much all of life is a, a level of collaboration of some kind or another. Loneliness has been identified as a higher risk factor for cardiovascular and neurovascular disease than smoking or obesity. Mm-hmm. Loneliness isn't the reality of being alone. It's an internal feeling of feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. So people can feel lonely even you know, in relationship or you know, with other people around or those kinds of things. So that's, it's that the opposite is that, that feeling of being connected and being in relationship. And there's an interesting study uh, and I, I will apologize, it is a totally sexist study because it's the Harvard Men's Study, also known as the Grant Study, um, which started in the 1940s, um, where they took a, a large group of uh, Harvard sophomores, this is back when it was an all-male college, and identified um, several hundred of them and several hundred men of the same age who lived in Boston neighborhoods that had a more challenging socioeconomic conditions. And they went and interviewed these guys about, you know, what their life was like, what their aspirations were like, their bank accounts. They did full health assessments on them, drew blood, took blood pressures, got their full health history. And then they went back two years later and repeated the same thing on the same guys. And they went back two years later and they went back two years later. And they've been doing this for this entire period of time. I think there's like 50 or 60 of them that are still alive. Um, so they've got tens of thousands of pages of data and information on, you know, kind of what contributes to health and happiness and, and success in the world. And when it comes to both health and happiness, um, it turns out it's not your hemoglobin A1C that is the biggest contributor. It's not your cholesterol. It's not the degree you got from Harvard. It's not the amount of money in your bank account. By a huge margin, the number one thing that contributes to, to health and happiness and longevity is the quality of your relationships wow. in the world. Wow. So when it comes to building resilience, increasing the relationships and increasing the collaboration in your world personally is a key to being able to, to deal with the stresses and, and vicissitudes of life, both you know, like chronic and, and acute when they happen. If you've got a good support system, um, that's why, you know, they talk at conferences like this about peer support. We were just in a lecture um, this afternoon about um, about peer support and how important peer support is to maintaining psychological and emotional wellness. Um, and, and it's that that collaboration relationship piece that's key. I'm not really sure what I'm going to talk about in that talk yet. I, my brain was kind of bent around how collaboration has made me like optimized performance, right? And, and it does that too. I've seen like analytically improved, you know, numbers and things like that. But you're talking about wellness and happiness, Absolutely. which I've certainly experienced as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, certainly my collaboration with you today around this podcast has increased my own joy and Likewise. my own happiness and my, and my feeling of connection. And, uh, and for those of you listening, I feel connected to you too, by extension, um, through this. So I'm really grateful to you for inviting me to 
to have this conversation and, and being in, in virtual conversation with everybody who listens to your work. It's been such an honor to get time with you, to get to have lunch with you, um, to learn from you. Thank you for just sharing what you know. That feeling is mutual. Yeah. It's really fun. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. And now you'll hear the audio I grabbed from his session at the ESO Wave Conference. The last 12, 13 minutes is a guided meditation. So if you're listening while you're driving or doing something important, uh, you should hit pause here and then come back to it later. There is a ton of good science behind the practice of mindfulness and various meditation techniques that really builds your capacity to manage your stress over time. So people who practice it regularly are less likely to get stressed out than people that don't. It's not religious in any way, shape, or form. It can be if you want it to be. It's interesting. The science shows that it really doesn't matter which kind of mindfulness you practice. And the, the guy who wrote the book, Altered Traits, Daniel Goleman, who was also the uh, creator of the, the book Emotional Intelligence and Working with Emotional Intelligence, the Harvard academic professor who's done a lot of research on this. Last time I saw him, somebody asked, so which kind of meditation is best? And he said, whatever one you'll actually do is best. What I would like to invite you to do is to uh, do a mindfulness practice together uh, with me right now. The one I'm going to share with you is one that is, uh, is probably one of the more researched of the systems. This comes from uh, Dan Siegel, physician, uh, psychiatrist, uh, the chair of the Mindsight Institute at UCLA Harborview. And he's done tons of laboratory research on this particular approach to meditation. It's called the Wheel of Awareness. Um, so this is a four, four-part wheel, okay? So that where we're going to start with is the five senses, and we'll, we'll go through uh, kind of a summary of your senses and, and call you out through those as we do it together. Um, and then we'll move to the, the second quarter of the wheel, um, and this is kind of an internal body scan, if you will, kind of a, a sixth sense as to how you're doing internally. The fourth part of it, we'll spend time on whatever your thoughts are in mental activity, and whatever stories you've got about meditation, clearing your brain, and all that kind of stuff, just don't worry about any of that stuff right now. If your thoughts run off to whatever it is, just let them go wherever they want to go. The last part um, is uh, going to be focused on relationships and, uh, and interconnected relationships. The way we'll do this is go ahead and uh, sit in your chair, but sit in a place where you can be really comfortable. And what I invite you to do is go ahead and look at the wall on the opposite side of the room uh, from where you are. And then uh, look down at your, your hands or your knees or the table in front of you. And then just allow your eyes uh, to drift closed. And take a, a one slow, easy, deep breath in all the way into your belly. And let it all the way out. And now shift your attention to sounds. And what do you, what do you hear in the room? Notice the sounds around you. And then bring your attention to your taste buds and imagining yourself tasting one of your favorite foods. Maybe it's a dark chocolate voodoo donut. Mm. 
And really feel the taste in your mouth. And then bring your attention to your smell. And just imagine yourself smelling one of your favorite smells, favorite perfume or flower or cooking. And just draw that smell all the way up into the top part of your nose and let it linger there for a minute. And now I invite you to bring your attention to your sense of touch. Feel your feet in your shoes and the touch of your clothing on your skin and the touch of the the seed against your, your back and your rear. Touch of your hands on whatever they're resting on. Just notice your touch. And now we're going to move to the, the second quarter of the wheel. And in this one, we're going to kind of do an, an internal scan of your body and kind of a, a sequence to just kind of let things go from the inside out. So we'll start with your face and just kind of let the insides of your face just relax a little bit. And do the same thing with your brain at the back of your head. Just, just let it be 2% less held. And then come down to your neck. And take a breath and imagine the space increasing between your spine and your trachea a little bit, so they're just kind of relaxed and fall a little bit apart. And then come down to your shoulder and feel inside your shoulder joint, how it just kind of separates a little bit, so there's just a little more space in that joint. And then let that little wave of relaxation kind of carry down through your elbow and feel the two bones in your forearm just kind of relax apart from each other just a little bit. And then if you, if you can, take a, a little breath into your fingers and let your fingers just... Lengthen just a little bit. Lengthen and soften. And then we'll come back up and bring your awareness to your heart. 
See if you can become aware of your heart beating, actually, and see if you can just let it slow just one, one beat per minute. And let your lungs kind of soften and fill. And then let your organs of your belly just kind of relax and move apart from each other. And let your pelvis just kind of soften and open up a little bit and relax into the chair. And then feel a wave of relaxation going down both of your legs to your knees and having your patella fall just a a quarter inch toward the floor as you let go of it. And let, let the relaxation go down your lower legs and feel your tibia and fibula move apart, just a, just a hair. And then let your toes lengthen and feel them just kind of drop into the floor beneath you. And now just take a a couple of whole body breaths and let your entire body, every cell in your body, just kind of feel relaxed all together all at once. And now we'll move to the third quarter of the wheel. And this is about your, your mental activity. And just let your, your thoughts wander without trying to grasp them or control them or do anything with them. Just see if you can notice when a, when a thought arises. See if you can catch it when it starts. And then as, as it moves out, kind of how does it exit? Where does it go? Some people find it helpful to imagine their thoughts as a a little river or stream in their brain going past, that they can kind of step out of the river and stand on the bank and watch watch their thoughts roll past. 
now we'll move on to the last part of the wheel. And this part is about your relationships. So I want you to start by thinking of your family, however, however you define family. And just kind of imagine wrapping your family in your arms and connecting with them with your, your love and your care and your support. And then kind of extend that circle out to kind of everybody in your professional network, however you define that. But imagine your arms were big enough to encircle around them and wish them well and happiness, joy. And think about the entire town you live in. And if you could put your arms around the entire town and wish it health and happiness and everybody there to be free of suffering and doing well. And imagine taking it out to your entire state. Imagine putting your arms around your entire state. And then your entire country. Imagine enveloping your entire country. And then you know where this is going. Take it out to the entire world. And imagine... All the people in the world you have a little bit of connection with all of them. And you can include all of the, all of the animals and plants, if, if you like. And just take a, a few deep, easy breaths as we... Uh, bring this wheel of awareness meditation to a close and gently allow your eyes to drift open whenever whenever you're ready whenever that feels right for you